welcome to another episode for Thinkers 50 uh, Dialogue, uh, Thinkers Dialogue. Uh, today we have a very special guest, uh, Oleg. Uh, in fact, uh, Oleg has been a dear friend, colleague, uh, and uh, I think uh, more than that, I, I think uh, we have collaborated on something that he has created. In fact, he interviewed me a couple of times uh, for this interaction and I just loved it. And the outcome for what has actually come out uh, is, a, is an amazing book called The Vision Code. Uh, and I think one of the most profound books that I've actually read on vision, uh, I think uh, this is something that each one of us as individuals or, or as corporates should actually look at reading and uh, uh, learning from. Uh, and if you really look at it, in fact, I must introduce Oleg here. Oleg is a business educator, a consultant. He's actually on the thinker's radar. Uh, he's a C-suite coach. He's worked with uh, some of the finest Fortune 500 enterprises. Uh, he's a visiting lecturer at many, many places. And of course, he, he writes for the Forbes. Uh, so that's uh, his claim to fame. But then I think the biggest claim to fame that he has is that he's a good friend of mine. And we met over a street uh, in London in a very interesting environment. And I, I for some odd reason, we just connected and uh, we just, uh, I think we just ended up becoming great colleagues and friends and that's where it is. So Oleg, thanks a lot for joining us today. Uh, for this uh, Thinkers Dialogue. It's an honor to be having you with us uh, for the dialogue. Ahmed, thank you very much for inviting. I'm honored and I'm really touched. And for me, it's always a great pleasure, you know, just to be with you. I'm always learning a ton from you. Thank you. You're amazing. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, Oleg. Uh, and so just, just quickly uh, moving on to uh, uh, the conversation, you know, like, uh, these have, been, these have been very trying times. In fact, uh, uh, if I recollect, we, we met about 18 months back and it was possibly in uh, London or yeah. maybe 24 months back in London. And then suddenly things turned turtle uh, and we have this pandemic coming up and things. And uh, how do you think this pandemic has been, has been an instrument in your thinking in really moving ahead with what you were thinking and how your works, how your, how your work has become so important in these times? I came to a very interesting observation. If we have a question for something, that means we don't have an answer for it from the past. When pandemic came, it's immediately revealed that we don't have answers. We can't bring our experience into it and get solutions. We must create answers. And so those answers are all in the future. How we could get those answers? We need to have a clear vision where we go. Not just dream, not an illusion, not something. So something beyond the present, something beyond today. Imagine we talked, you know, you, sa you said to me, and I love that. Have you ever been to India? No. So you're ignoring 20% of the world population. And I said, I will come to you next month. Something like that, we're just like, in the spring, all gone, right? So... It's still about how we create that solution to be together. Now we got that solution, we talk virtually now, and we're still together on the phone and WhatsApp, you know. We're creating the answer by looking into the future. And that is most important. As a leader, I must lead people into the future. I'm not about changing them for the past. So, uh, Oleg, this is, this is fascinating. So, it's about creating the future and things. And yeah. where, where do you think the future is for the human race? In fact, we'll come to the corporate discussion as we go along. But then, 
what is your view on the future for the human race given this pandemic because there, there has to be the vision uh, and it's this pandemic has taught us a lot of things uh, from my point of view and i'm sure you have your own view as to how it has taught you things vision in our thinking defines our evolution human evolution and based on what we create in fact not just you we wouldn't be judged in a corporate world by our annual reports or the bottom lines we will be judged by achievements that we will pass as a legacy to the next generation rather people uh, working in those corporations or our kids if we talk about our personal life we will be judged on those visions achieved so you see, we are all very good saying we are problem solvers. Problems as mosquitoes. They're always around us. They're sucking our blood. But And if we are focusing on them, we're not moving far. But we talk now about future is about creating solutions for a better life, for a better business. And this is how we would be judged. So we would be judged on the basis of what kind of solutions we, we could offer to the world. And those solutions are created for the future and for the benefit of others. The bottom line is more of ambitious. Oh yeah, I have achieved something. But towards what? So when you're talking about have you achieved something and towards what, how would you want to really measure it? Because that, that measurement becomes a very important key as you know, metrics. Exactly. It's about metrics of leadership. Because think of someone at a work, uh, workshop floor. Does this person really care about the bottom line? No. It's not about what this person achieved, how better yeah. his life became, uh, how much he has grown. That is quite important. It's about metrics it's about what i promise people and how it would be met by the people expectations like for instance in 20 years time we will offer the best solution in the country or in the world or in a local community or in that industry for the people to use it and live better and that would lead us to a great financial result to some kind of future growth it would open more opportunities those things are important so when you're saying measurement, uh, metrics, you, yeah, yeah, the metrics and the measurement, like, could, could you just say, like, could you give a number in terms of, say, a metric uh, that you would like to look at, say, for the future, if you're really talking to the corporation or whatever, or an individual, how would you really want to define that metric? I would start the first thing, I would start, what kind of value will be delivered to people, whether it in metrics, or in emotional terms, but what kind of a value would be created for people, customers, employees? What we would really achieve in terms of solving something or eradicating something or moving towards achievement of a certain goal. Okay, a simple example, Elon Musk, SpaceX, we're about to move into open space and move to Mars through creation of those multiple uh, flights program. Done. 
then moving further. Uh, we, we talk about electrical car industry. Electrical cars were invented before, but to rewrite the shape of car industry is a very different story. And they do this successfully. Uh, it's about what kind of a value we would create. And that, and as a result, we will get a good financial outcomes and wealth for many people, not just for a few. And this is, we are getting people involved. But one of the critical metrics is how I'm making people around me as co-owners of that vision. Because if I don't make people co-owners, so they're benefiting directly from my vision, then it's purely sarcastic metrics. It's more of a KPI. That is quite important to consider. Vision is about making other the co-owners, co-authors of it. Mm -hmm. So that's fascinating. So when you're saying we're making co-owners of things that we want to achieve, uh, there are two sets of people that we're really looking at. One is, of course, there is an enterprise view of how that metric has to be looked at or how the vision has to be looked at. Uh, but how would you want to really talk about an individual here itself? Like, in fact, I would like to invoke Clayton Christensen here because he said, like, the biggest thing is how to measure what you're doing. So how, how do you really want to look at the individual? I would offer you a very simple... I have a... I know a fantastic person. He is a chairman for Institute for Competitiveness of India, Amit Kapoor. Brilliant mind. Excellent. And he, get, he got a great vision how to empower India in geopolitical, geoeconomical terms. Everything he does affects organizations, individuals, society, all affected. So that all, at all levels, people could benefit from it. It's one thing. It's a simple example that works directly in this sense. But think for a moment, if we're creating something really meaningful doing our businesses as organizations, we're becoming better as people, and so it has impact on our families, how we act. Because you think already beyond yourself. You think beyond your immediate needs. You think about others. Because vision is about creating value for others. Your vision comes when you're Conscious awareness of a problem you want to solve for the benefit of others reaches its peak. That's exactly the same formula for you in personal level. If I don't see my partner, my wife, in my vision, it's not a vision. It's more of a social exchange. But if I create value for my wife, she creates for me, we together, we grow together, and we're achieving our family vision. Mm -hmm. It's for people. So that, that's fascinating, uh, Oleg. Uh, and uh, you, you've deeply embarrassed me with your answer. In fact, <laughs> I'm, I'm just... uh, you do great, and I I learn a ton, a ton from you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, just digging deeper into this, you know, like uh, so you you made a very important point in your uh, book, and that is that making the unconscious conscious. So, what what do you really mean here, like? Do you, do you think what you're trying to say is that vision is typically there in the minds of people? It is, they're just not able to articulate? Or what is it that you're really 
saying and how do we really help people process it and move forward with it? We often assume that vision is some kind of a statement, which we just think, oh, we want to have it nice. It's not about, I want to make everyone happy on that planet. It doesn't work. Vision is very pragmatic. It's very practical. It's very structured. It's a beautiful, incredibly beautiful way of thinking that turns into reality. Therefore, it has uh, six film criteria, which can be really checked against them uh, to build this construct. And when we have dreams, we hardly could articulate them. But vision is a multidimensional space in the future where we invite people to create and live in it. Therefore, it has clear functions, clear boundaries, and growing boundaries. Where are the people going to be? Therefore, vision becomes a very, as a, a great side effect, positive side effect. It's very inspirational. When you have your dreams, this is your dreams. It wouldn't inspire me because it's hardly thought we could articulate them. I want bigger, I want smaller, doesn't matter. We want, it is quite precise. It is quite unique. Uh, David Katz, he set himself a great goal to clean the ocean from the plastic waste. And he created a formula or model using his vision how to do this. He invited people who live on the coast of the, uh, of the oceans to collect that plastic waste, pass it to him. He recycles it. He pays $1 per kilo to people. They're making more money. They're living better. And he cleans millions of kilos of plastic waste every year, recycles, sells to big uh, producers. And he calculated that on average, it's about $9 trillion are floating in the ocean now. It's a huge vision. It's practical, it's real, it's achievable. And it's so it's a huge work that has incredible impact on many people. You could touch it. You could share it. You could communicate it. And everyone would get involved in it. That, that is fascinating, you know, like uh, something that you're able to touch and feel and uh, how would you really go about Let's go deeper into that point. Yeah. I would say it's six film criteria. Vision has six film criteria. Stimulus. Because vision is acting for people and with people and for their needs. So it's about what kind of value I create for people. That immediately resonates with a simple stimulus and we expect response. So if it's real value for people in your vision, people will respond to it. If not, they will pass away, you know, pass by and say, okay, cool, but not for me now. And of course, they should enjoy being involved in it as customers, as employees, as supporters. It's about it. Scale. Scale, it's about adding value all the time at every stage of your progress. It's not about bashing the, through the doors and getting to the new markets. Nothing like that. It's about spotlight, whose skin is in the game? Because you're like on a Broadway for 24 seven, you know, 
I'm put, I'm putting myself into this game as a visionary because I don't want to risk. I want don't want you to risk. And that's important because we often think we often believe that control is everything. Therefore, it leads to micromanagement. But control is an illusion unless people who share that responsibility feel personally responsible for it. And that's how all your team takes care of the things you produce. It's about scanning because you need to be really grounded and know what's going on with people, not elusive. You know, okay, hey, it's painful. That needs change. This is a demand for it and we're changing it. That's important. The most difficult element, but it's very critical, simplicity, because vision is an elegant thinking about complicated things. If it's too complicated, you can't communicate it, no one would buy it, I will stay away from it. And of course, vision is about passion. And what I'm always saying to people, you must be, you must create, um, you know, hundreds, thousands of passion, your passion multipliers around you. Because if you have a real passion for what you do, people will follow you and they will support you. That gives that emotional strength to your vision. And if you pass that test, you could see how realistic it is, how it is achieved, and what people will gain out of it. Mm -hmm. Well, so, you know, like what, what, we, what I hear you say is that passion is everything that is going to drive uh, for people. And, uh, and if, you're, if I really talk about passion, so that means the struggle within enterprise or struggle everywhere is going to be that how do we actually give passion to people or how do we really give them something to achieve over a period of time or how do we give them that vision to really push that whole thing? So that, don't you think it becomes a circular loop of sorts? Uh, we don't have the appropriate vision, we don't have the right passion or vice versa. If I'm not interested, if it's some, some kind of a boring thing, would I commit myself? No, because to commit myself, I must, I must have passion. Otherwise, I'm like a slave. I'm just working from whatever, eight to five or overtime, but I'm not committed. I don't have passion for it. My heart is not on the fire for it. Therefore, my engagement would be next to nothing. I'm present formally, but I'm not productive. I'm not revealing the best of me. I'm not sharing my potential. So, Oleg, you know, like, you, you make a very important assertion in your uh, book. Mm -hmm. And that is about what you call as anti-visionary force, oh, yeah. uh, if I might say. And you make a very important point that one of the anti-visionary forces is detachment from reality. So well, what you really, as I understand it is, well, what, what you're really saying is that we have to understand our environment right and then environment well. If we don't do it, then things are just not going to play the right way or things. And, and how beyond that, what are the other negativity or negative elements that you feel can actually stall us as people, as individuals, as enterprises, as governments, as we go along? Negativity is probably the greatest killer of vision. You know, you can't talk to the future, to a positive future, or create a positive future being negative or using a negative language. You must be positive. Yes, what we know 
the easiest thing to sell is fear. You could say, tomorrow it would be horrible. And people say, yeah, 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 it will be horrible. You will pay more. It will be even worse, you know. No, you must be really positive. But we're not living in, a, in, a, in an ideal environment, a human society where people are supportive, very supportive. No. We often hear from, from others, oh, it wouldn't work, it doesn't work, you know, some kind of a negative things. People prefer to talk about problems rather than solutions, and they're adding even more dark colors in the conversations. And that sets even more fears in the mind, in the minds of, uh, of leaders, entrepreneurs, individuals. And therefore, negativity is something that would not help you to create. No one created anything beautiful with a negative mode of thinking. Imagine Da Vinci being sad, you know, just like disappointed and creating a beautiful masterpieces. No, it's very different. It's one thing, detachment from reality. If I don't understand the people needs, if I don't feel that, if I don't have it at the tips of my fingers, real things, it's not reality. You see, visionary leadership is not about being smart and reading a lot of articles on the internet. It's about being wise, knowing how people live, how they, what they do, and how reality impacting them and what couldn't be changed. It's about, it's a transition from smart to wise. And this is very, at that point, it's very important to be really connected to reality. Oleg, I would like to push back on this point uh, when you talk about negativity and things. You know, like, of course, you have to have that positive view when you're moving ahead. But there's also this important role of critics that you might actually want to uh, look at. And critics could always be seen as negatives, but then the critics are also somebody who make the world go around because they will focus on problems or really pushing them to the forefront. Uh, so how would you really reconcile this aspect? I just, uh, I was trying to pass some kind of my ideas through my wife and I just said, look, I have an idea. And I just spelled it. And she said to me, I understood nothing, but it sounds genius. So thank you. <laughs> but in fact, it's about critics or demotivators. I'm talking to people from across the globe daily, and I'm learning from everyone. And it, I'm fully prepared that somebody ha would have a different opinion, and I need that opinion to make my things better. I need that critic because somebody got a better view on a particular topic, and I'm grateful for that input. So bless this person for his critic or critical point. But I don't want to be around people who would be telling me it wouldn't work. Why? I just think it wouldn't work without any justification because he, full, he is full of fears or doubts himself. Therefore, it would be a difference between valuable critics and miserable doubts. Mm -hmm. Valuable so, critics are important. 
So that is where it is. So when you are talking about valuable critics, they are a set of people who are looking at the situation and probably analyze, trying to help us understand the dangers ahead. So rather than just giving off the cuff remark that this is just not going to work, you yeah. know, so that, that's what we are getting to. It's a brilliant point, Amit, because you talk about they're using their brain purposefully for creating, to analyzing problems that would lead to uh, creation of solution. Instead of people using their emotions in their, and casting their doubts on others. That's a very big difference. Mm -hmm. And so, so, you know, like you've actually talked about, you, you did uh, talk about your six criteria of a strong vision as we were talking about. And you, of course, said there has to be the purpose in looking at things. But you, you also make a very important point on stimulus. Uh, stimulus. Uh, because Stimulus is something which is, which is, again, very fascinating because, and I would like to bring in this aspect of stimulus and critic, because the same stimulus could actually make a person positive, look at an opportunity, and that same stimulus could actually push somebody towards saying, oh, everything is just so bad that nothing is going to happen. Uh, so how do we really get out of that cycle? That becomes an important question uh, for everyone. I love that point because that sets our understanding of vision from very beginning. Vision must be much greater than me or any organization or you, you know, it's huge. It's when it's huge, real, strong, and it has this magnitude. It inspires me. It inspires me to do more. And it gives me more courage to think more courage, uh, more boldly about different things. It's, it keeps my focus on achievement. If it's too small, well, I might achieve it, might not. So it's more, it wouldn't inspire me, it wouldn't inspire others. Would I focus on something small? Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, whatever. But when it's really big, it has this magnitude for thousands of people around me. Therefore, when people see that stimulus being incredibly important, incredibly big, they will get correct. They will respond to it. So, you know, like Oleg, your body of work is so central to the idea of leadership. Uh, because I see, like, what you're really touching is how leaders can actually be inspirational as well, how they can actually give an idea as to what needs to happen. And you did invoke the idea of Elon Musk. Uh, howsoever we might want to say, like a lot of people will think he's a nut, he's crazy, but at the end of the day, he's somebody who, is, who thought crazy things, but he has done some amazing stuff as well. Because say 10 years back, if somebody was saying, or he was saying, I'm going to send something like a satellite uh, out, out of Earth, and everybody said, oh, NASA is not able to do it. How is this guy going to do it? This bloke has just lost his mind. And look where he is today. He just redefined so many things that he's actually done. So a crazy bloke, but does it. And you've actually had similar sets of people in the past as well. Uh, I could share my experience. Maybe it's a bit provocative, and, but my apologies. When I started working on vision quite a while ago I was thinking about how to approach it because the subject is huge 
And 100% of people said to me that I'm crazy. I said, okay, I will carry on. You know, I, I started talking about vision in my previous book, Liderology. Okay, just like touching the ground, revealing something, and carry on. People said, yeah, cool, but you wouldn't make it. At a certain point in my interviews, I was talking to John Spence, one of the respondents in my book, and I said, John, why do you think people are not looking into vision really seriously, really deep, even knowing that is critical? And he said to me, because it's too big, it's too scary. People try to avoid it. Somebody should be a bit of a lunatic like you to touch it. Mm -hmm. But if you are not afraid to go beyond yourself and and, uh, be a hostage of your own fears, you could do it. So, Oleg, this is fascinating, but I have a very interesting question from uh, one of the uh, participants in the uh, Mm -hmm. webinar. His name is uh, Raghavan. And he says like a very important point, and I I think we need to delve into this. And the point is lofty visions probably don't inspire because they might not be achievable or they're not achievable. And of course, vision needs to be aligned with capabilities. So uh, you you could have an exotic vision and whatever, but then we have the capability. And then the question is, if it is not achievable, is it going to inspire people or not? How, how do you really bring that semblance of reality? Oh, yeah. You, you see, I was brought up in a Soviet Union, and uh, all of us were just being brainwashed with the promises of, of some kind of a future great life in 100 years' time, so in a time where I wouldn't live, you know. And uh, I don't believe in vision, which I can't feel a result or get some kind of a value. Vision must bring value to people at every stage of its development. It's nothing of a promise, okay, in 200 years time, we'll be better. No, what we could achieve in the real terms, in the real time, in the real senses, that is quite important. People should not suffer while they're achieving that vision. They should enjoy it. They should enjoy doing, uh, producing it, executing it, and so they should get some kind of a value. Maybe not the final value as they're progressing towards the achievement of that level of vision, but it's quite important for people to get fruits of it, out of it, in very, very nearest future. Otherwise, they wouldn't be inspired. They wouldn't believe in it. So, you know, like, Oleg, I would like to take your point to the idea of nations. Because when you really talk about nations, like because of course there are three steps at which we are talking about vision and vision will operate at the national level. It'll have enterprises, it'll have individuals and everything will eventually get just opposed to each other because we are all moving ahead. Uh, but visions for nations can always have a very long-term view and a long-term scale. Uh, so how do we reconcile this to your point as well? Because Sometimes we can have a very lofty view to what we want to be as a country. It might not happen in our lifetimes or it might not happen in a couple of generations as well, but maybe it is achievable as we actually go along. In fact, look at uh, countries such as United Arab Emirates. 
they're progressing very well. I looked at their centennial strategic plan, it is amazing. Yes, 50 years horizon, and it's they already on it. It already brings great value. Saudi Arabia, Singapore. So it's quite a few countries, nations, which are really moving forward with their visions, and they inspire their citizens. Because they're fairly precise or fairly clear what they're trying to achieve. And what's important, when we talk about nations, we should talk about successions between generations. We will be judged by the next generation in a way what we have achieved in our life and what we have passed to them. And that would secure succession and the growth to that final or grand vision. But it should be visible now and it should be realistic. It's not just uh, some kind of a irresponsible promise of a country leader that we would live better. Better is not, measure, not measurable. No metrics in it. Where we're going to be, what we would achieve, what we will pass to the next generation is quite important. Otherwise, it's a murky promise. A difficulty with politicians that they are very good at promises. But they are not responsible, not accepting responsibility for their promises. A real vision is about responsibility. That's, that's beautifully said. So real vision is about keeping your promises. It's about responsibility as we actually uh, move ahead. But, you know, like you also said something very interesting, and that was about wisdom. So, yeah. uh, because when you talk about wisdom, and you, you did say that uh, in your one of your previous answers as well, but trying to get deeper into that whole idea of wisdom, like how, because wisdom is something which is not coming through either reading, it is through experiences, it is looking at a larger worldview. Uh, so how, how do you really look at that whole idea of wisdom and how do you think we can integrate it uh, within uh, our society, our enterprises and things? And possibly wisdom is also not a function of age because a lot of times we actually put uh, that age is of uh, age is defining wisdom in a person or mm -hmm. so uh, age uh, age deserves pension wisdom deserves respect and you could be wise at a younger age not still entitled for a pension mm -hmm. when we talk about wisdom we talk about knowing people needs and how it can be created it's about connecting seemingly unconnectable dots. And this is very much about real broad outlook. It's about listening to people. If uh, on different workshops, I'm asking people to run a simple exercise, listen to their partners in, in their little groups. And um, most cases, uh, we have difficulty listening. We don't listen. We can't be wise if you don't listen to people. That's about age, when people just talk, talk, talk. But I can't become wise if I don't know about people, if I don't know about their life, if I don't know about facts, if I know about 
what kind of consequences could appear. It's about getting far, far ahead or beyond the simple understanding of being smart. Because you adding those bridges between facts and you're making that a real, I wouldn't say solutions, but platforms to move forward, little platforms, you're creating them. Mm -hmm. You're making, when you are smart, you're using knowledge as some kind of a stock. When you are wise, you're using knowledge as a tool. Nice. And just curiously, how would you really want to bring the idea of uncertainty to this whole dimension? I love it. I love it. Uncertainty gives me a chance to grow. No one would grow in a comfort zone because when everything's certain, I don't need to grow. Walk out, you know, in the middle of the night, no lights in, in your house. You can walk around, without, you know, and you know, where's everything. You're comfortable. You're not learning. You're already patterned. But if we talk about creating the future, where is everything unclear, the only thing you have, which is certain, is your vision, because you know way how to create your past. Comfort is about, you know, what I'm stating is, life is not a place we live, but a path we take. When we live in one place, it's about comfort. We are very comfortable, that's it. We are not growing. We are sucked like by the swamp into that comfort and it restricts us. But when we are in, the, we are creating our past, which is very uncomfortable and of course uncertain, we're becoming stronger, we learn, we fight, we employing or mobilizing more knowledge, we asking more questions and we go forward. For instance, we, create together some kind of a great vision. And we're moving along. We achieved a certain trespass and we say, oh, we achieved it. And we're relaxing. We, we came from a stage of uncertainty, we reached a level of certainty. We're comfortable. But if we will stay in it for a while, we will become lazy. And then moving further would be almost impossible. Many companies gone dead at that stage because they decided that they achieved something important and instead of moving forward and using that advantage they are relaxed relaxed mean dead nokia blackberry ah, thousands of those companies they have wiped away i believe you met a lot of great i would say leaders who would say, oh, I used to be a CEO or vice president of such and such level, but why you are not moving forward? Because he felt too comfortable at a certain point. He was looking for certainty. Certainty, when I'm looking for certainty, that means I'm really prepared to retire and I need nothing. But if I want to keep progressing, I'm looking for uncertainty. Wow. And 
you you also said uh, Nokia. Uh, where do you think Nokia got relaxed or too relaxed, or was it a technological debacle, or they got too relaxed with what they were making? They assumed initially that they are already too big and so unstressable. And therefore, thinking about moving to platforms was, well, it's something out of our comfort. We're too big. It wouldn't happen. That was immediate suicidal, you know, decision. Got it. I would be careful saying a decision because I'm clearly articulating a difference between choice and decision. Decision is about commitment and responsibility. But we are very good, all of us, at choices. We're all taught on choices. Even in a you know, textbook, mass textbook, you open at the end, we have already pre-cooked answers. That is about choices, because choice doesn't assume responsibility. It doesn't assume commitment. It's more of an excuse to do something in a wrong way. Mm -hmm. But decision is about going through something uncertain and really be fully committed to it. You're like, Oleg, uh, you, you said like they were not committing to go to platforms or a new platform that were emerging at that point. Actually, it's, if it would be some other solution, they still wouldn't be committing themselves. They're so more or less they were prepared, not prepared to commit for something new. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they, they, they were just too embedded <laughs> in the comfort zone and that's, yeah. that's what it is. And that's what you actually said. Yeah. They're, they're relaxed on it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, there's a very fascinating question that has come from uh, one of uh, the audience. And he, he asked a question. And you said platform, so I thought I should ask you this question here. Uh, how do you really, what, what, what is your view on what one hears about a vision to create a platform-based enterprise? Uh, how do you really want to look at that as an idea? I'm not fully prepared for answer this question for a reason. Uh, if platform would reveal as only a technical solution, okay, sounds great, fine. I'm not a great expert to say, yeah, it would be great or not. Sounds good. But it's still about people, what it would offer for people. So it goes back to the heart of your point that what is the solution that we're providing? Yeah. Uh, if I do not know what's the solution that I'm providing or what is the problem that I'm solving, I'm exactly. not really going to go and move ahead. Awesome. No. I like to then. As you know, like your, your body of work is so important from what, I, what I'm really seeing is that there has to be this application to how the world sees itself today with the kind of changes that we are seeing in the world today, the challenges that we are seeing today. Don't you think there is an urgent need for us to really redefine the vision of what we really want to be as a society, as, as world, as country, as people? It was a shocking fact for me. You know, I was digging deep into this research, talking to a big number of people. And I was shocked when I realized that less than 0.1% of modern leaders have vision. They, they, in fact, 
only few people are really good at leading others. The rest is more about of pretenders. Oh, we are leaders without clear articulation where they are leading people. And that's a huge challenge. And so we tend to repeat the same old mistakes from the past again and again, like hamsters in a wheel. You see, when, when this pandemic hit us, people jump into the same positions in doing the same mistakes, the same things. And therefore, and it was just a lot of tears and screams. That, oh, it was horrible. Instead of looking for solutions and create something new, people have been trying to approach and use old techniques. Mm -hmm. and this is this is about what I call a mind luck. We have a big difficulty with leadership, which because these leaders' thoughts are mainly cast into the past. They're, they're digging for answers in the archives. You wouldn't have that answers. We're facing completely different reality already now. So we must create new solutions. And therefore, I must be really focused on that future instead of being focused on the past. Nice. And when you when I ask you a question, I'll push you deeper into this. And you know, like, what do you think would be your vision of the world? If I were to ask you, where do you think the world would be in about the next hundred years? I wish I know the answer. I know what I want to achieve myself, what kind of a vision. I want to create a million visionaries across the globe. And this is I want to do myself as my part of contribution. I hope it will help others. It would be much about how we are looking to the future with a sense of creating it or exploiting it. If we will continue to exploit as we used to be, nothing great would happen. We wouldn't make people life better. We will be facing the same problems again and again and again and again. Yeah. And so, you know, like, if I really have to go through this process of what you would call as vision as a tool, yeah. and how, how do you want to really tell people or what do you think individuals should really do to run through this process of creating that vision for ourselves? <laughs> you see, I came from the fishing industry background, which is very, very practical, you know, show me the fish, show me the results. And my aim was to not just to, to talk about vision, which is important, but my aim was to come up with a practical tool. And I came with it. It's called caviar. And it's applicable as for corporations and so for individuals as well. It's about, see, clarity of creation. How are you conscious about what you want to create? It's about ability because you must grow, otherwise your vision wouldn't grow, if you wouldn't grow. It's about viability, so how practical, how pragmatic is your vision. It's about influence, how you would make others, not just talking to them, but how you would make them the co-owners of that vision. 
And it's about acting, of course, or execution, because it's not about pleasing people or looking for consensus, it's about leading them. And it's about revitalizing, to go out of that comfort zone. So it's a process. It's simple, yet not easy to do, because you must commit yourself, you must think about it, it wouldn't come for granted. But that is a clear process. Mm -hmm. And you don't like, you again write something very fascinating in your book, which, which I thought I should talk about. And that is, in visionaries are people. And when, when you're saying, of course, you want to create a million visionaries and things, that, that's a great idea. Um, but you also said something very important here. Vision, visionaries manage, manage energy, not time. So this is, this is a very fascinating point that I saw in your uh, book as well. Because when you're saying managing time, uh, or sorry, managing energy and not time, what, what do you mean here? Because this, this could be construed as a thing, oh, you don't have to worry about time, you don't have to worry about scheduling, you don't have to worry about managing, or can, can we go deeper onto this? If you are really a knowledge worker, as Peter Drucker was qualifying leaders, it's about your commitment and what you do. Can you measure commitment in minutes or hours? No, it's about energy. How much of myself I will put into it. Okay, to find a solution. Could I say that I will find a solution within 15 minutes or two hours, 12 minutes? No. It's about how much I would be thinking again and again until I'll find that best solution. Writing a book or creating that algorithm, could I say I will get it ready in six months? If I want quality, I will do it until the moment it's done in the right quality. If, I'm, if I talk to people as a leader, is it about formal approach? Okay, you have five minutes, talk whatever you do, I will do something in between because I need to catch up with my time. No, it's about com being committed to people and listen to them. So it's not about time, it's about how I'm committed to something. And that about energy. And what you're really saying is that it has to be beyond making empty promises. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> this is very different. And so I like coming towards the end of the interaction, but I, I would just really want to ask you two more questions. You know, like really? the, the criticism that we always see of the present generation. In fact, I have to talk about generation here as well. And of course, you must have been listening to this within the corporations or whatever. And at least I hear it from many people when I'm talking to corporate leaders in India, that the present generation does not seem to be committed enough or they're not reading enough or they're not excited enough. Or, uh, and there are also those, there are other side of the story. Oh, they're super excited. They're absolutely on some kind of a high all the time and whatever. Uh, they, they don't respect tradition. Uh, how, how do you really look at this whole situation? Amit, I have quite an answer for that. Realistically, every generation is insisting the next generation to repeat their mistakes. <laughs> and they're not happy how the next generation is trying to avoid this. 
Uh-huh. My parents, my grandparents, you know, talking generations in, in terms of generation, uh, insisting, oh, we lived in the right, in a good way. We lived properly. You lived wrong way. And you think, leave me alone, you know. And now the same happens to the next generation. We're trying to insist them that they should live in a way we have lived. And we're not happy with that. But they're creating... I have a little son. He's four years old. Come on, guys. I'm growing him, not for myself. I'm growing him to live his life. And the best legacy I could leave for him is not money, but the way to train him or teach him how he could create his own life. Mm -hmm. So very, very interesting. So it's about, I think, teaching him what he needs to do in his life is a very critical factor. I think otherwise that dissonance will always be there between the person and the next generation. It's it's always going to happen uh, as we go along. Uh, Like uh, grandparents, uh, they lived in a time of the Second World War. It was very suffering, very tough time. And why, you know, after 70 or 80 years after the Second World War, I should live exactly the same way as they lived 70 years ago suffering. What, what's the point of the human progress? Mm-hmm. And if you really look at my, my final question on this, what do you think you would want to tell people to read and do from tomorrow, which can enable them to be better visionaries in the future? Excellent book, The Vision Code. I love it. It's a good book. But from now on, all of us would spend all of our lives in the future. So think more about creating the future rather than think about your past experience. Very nice. Think how you would live the rest of your life from now on. And you need to have a vision for it. If you want to live a really meaningful life. Yeah. In business or in your personal life, it's about this. And so what I hear you say, Oleg, is that a man is going to be known by the contribution he makes. And how he, without a doubt, right? Absolutely. Because you see... I'm not a speechless worm. I'm a human who's supposed to make some, bring some kind of positive value to this world, to others. And this is for what I would be remembered. This is something, this would be the metrics of my life. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And, you know, like, of course, as we come to the uh, close of the conversation, uh, I must tell everybody in the audience that the book that Oleg has written is called The Vision Code how to create and execute a compelling vision for your business. Of course, we delved into very many interesting ideas from countries to enterprises to people. Uh, but of course, the, the foreword has been written by one of my dear friends again, Marshall Goldsmith. Uh, and I think, uh, so uh, just a fascinating book. And I, w- I would really suggest, or I would really request each one of uh, you to really read this, uh, to really get huge sets of views on what to do and how to do it. But Oleg, I can't let you go without answering one last question. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Your specific suggestions for me. What do you think I should be doing uh, to really move to the next orbit if I want to? 
It's like a soldier telling to a general what to do. Okay, good advice. Keep moving. You're doing great. And count on me because I'm amazed with what you do. And I'm it. It's my suggestion to everyone. Don't allow anyone to silence your vision. Mm. That's a thing. Hey, that's very nice. Like, so keep on the pace, keep on the focus and move ahead. And the world is going to be yours. That's what the suggestion is. Or like, this has just been such a fascinating discussion. We have talked for an hour and I, I think it's just the time just flew. I'm sure we can talk for many more hours on this. And I look I'm forward sure. to more conversations with you as we go along. Uh, and I'm so sorry uh, for this technical glitch today. My video just stopped working. Uh, so uh, apologies on that. Uh, but uh, uh, I think it's just a fascinating conversation. Uh, thanks a lot. Uh, I'll look forward to meeting all of you uh, in the audience and invite everybody uh, to uh, join for the next episode on Wednesday uh, with Mark Kramer. Uh, but in the meanwhile, Oleg, thanks a lot. It was just a privilege to have you with us. Thank you. Amit, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.